0: Chapter 6, Part 1 of the Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Fifteen Decisive Battles of the World by Sir Edward Shepherd Creasy. Chapter 6 The Battle of Chalons, AD 451. Part 1. Quote, the discomfiture of the mighty attempt of Attila to found a new anti-Christian dynasty upon the wreck of the temporal power of Rome at the end of the term of 1,200 years, to which its duration had been limited by the forebodings of the heathen. Unquote. Herbert a broad expanse of plains, the Campi Catalonici of the ancients, spreads far and wide around the city of Chalons in the north east of France. The long rows of poplars through which the river Marne winds its way, and a few thinly scattered villages are almost the only objects that vary the monotonous aspect of the greater part of this region. But about five miles from Chalons, near the little hamlets of Chaps and Cupperly, the ground is indented and heaped up in ranges of grassy mounds and trenches, which attest the work of man's hand in ages past, and which, to the practised eye, demonstrate that this quiet spot has once been the fortified position of a huge military host. Local tradition gives to these ancient earthworks the name of Attila's camp. Nor is there any reason to question the correctness of the title, or to doubt that behind these very ramparts it was that fourteen hundred years ago the most powerful heathen king that ever ruled in europe mustered the remnants of his vast army which had striven on these plains against the christian soldiery of the in rome here it was that attila prepared to resist to the death his victors in the field and here he heaped up the treasures of his camp in one vast pile which was to be his funeral pyre should his camp be stormed it was here that the gothic and italian forces watched but dared not assail their enemy in his despair after that great and terrible day of battle when the sound of conflict was o'erpast, the shout of all whom earth could send from her remotest bounds, heathen or faithful, from thy hundred mouths, that feed the Caspian with Rifean snows. Huge Volga, from famed Hypanis, which once cradled the Hun, from all the countless realms between Imaeus and that utmost strand, where columns of Herculean rock confront the blown Atlantic, Roman, Goth, and Hun, and Scythian, strength of chivalry, that tread the cold Codanian shore, or what far lands, Inhospitable drink Cimmerian floods, Franks, Saxons, Suvic, and Sarmartian chiefs, and who from green Armorica or Spain flocked to the work of death. Unquote. Note Herbert's Attila, Book 1, Line 13. End note the victory which the roman general aetius with his gothic allies had then gained over the huns was the last victory of imperial rome but among the long fasti of her triumphs few can be found that for their importance and ultimate benefit to mankind are comparable with this expiring effort of her arms. It did not, indeed, open to her any new career of conquest. It did not consolidate the relics of her power. It did not turn the rapid ebb of her fortunes. The mission of imperial Rome was, in truth, already accomplished. She had received and transmitted through her once ample dominion, the civilization of Greece. She had broken up the barriers of narrow nationalities among the various states and tribes that dwelt around the coast of the Mediterranean. She had fused these and many other races into one organized empire, bound together by a community of laws of government and institutions. Under the shelter of her full power, the true faith had arisen in the earth, and, during the years of her decline, it had been nourished to maturity, and had overspread all the provinces that ever obeyed her sway. NOTE SEE THE INTRODUCTION TO RANKE'S HISTORY OF THE POPES, note. FOR NO BENEFICIAL PURPOSE TO MANKIND COULD THE DOMINION OF THE SEVEN-HILLED CITY HAVE BEEN RESTORED OR PROLONGED, BUT IT WAS ALL-IMPORTANT TO MANKIND THAT NATIONS SHOULD DIVIDE AMONG THEM ROME'S RICH INHERITANCE OF EMPIRE whether the Germanic and Gothic warriors should form states and kingdoms out of the fragments of her dominions and become the free members of the commonwealth of Christian Europe, or whether pagan savages from the wilds of Central Asia should crush the relics of classic civilization and the early institutions of the christianized germans in one hopeless chaos of barbaric conquest the christian Vistigoths of king theodoric fought and triumphed at Chalons, side by side with the legions of aetius their joint victory over the hunnish host not only rescued for a time from destruction the old age of Rome, but preserved for centuries of power and glory the Germanic element in the civilization of modern Europe. In order to estimate the full importance to mankind of the Battle of Chalons, we must keep steadily in mind who and what the Germans were, and the important distinctions between them and the numerous other races that assailed the Roman Empire. And it is to be understood that the Gothic and the Scandinavian nations are included in the German race. Now, quote, in two remarkable traits the Germans differed from the Sarmatic, as well as from the Slavic nations, and, indeed, from all those other races to whom the Greeks and Romans gave the designation of barbarians. I allude to their personal freedom and regards for the rights of men. Secondly, to the respect paid by them to the female sex, and the chastity for which the latter were celebrated among the people of the North. These were the foundations of that probity of character, self-respect, and purity of manners which may be traced among the Germans and Goths even during pagan times and which, when their sentiments were enlightened by Christianity, brought out those splendid traits of character which distinguish the age of chivalry and romance. End quote. Note. See Pritchard's Researches into the Physical History of Mankind, Volume 3, page 423. End note what the intermixture of the German stock with the classic at the fall of the Western Empire has done for mankind may be best felt by watching with Arnold over how large a portion of the earth the influence of the German element is now extended. Quote, IT AFFECTS MORE OR LESS THE WHOLE WEST OF EUROPE, FROM THE HEAD OF THE GULF OF BOTHNIA TO THE MOST SOUTHERN PROMONTORY OF SICILY, FROM THE ODER AND THE ADRIATIC TO THE HEBRIDES AND TO LISBON. IT IS TRUE THAT THE LANGUAGE SPOKEN OVER A LARGE PORTION OF THIS SPACE IS NOT PREDOMINANTLY GERMAN but even in France and Italy, and Spain, the influence of the Franks, Burgundians, Visigoths, Ostrogoths, and Lombards, while it has colored even the language, has in blood and institutions left its mark legibly and indelibly. Germany, the Low Countries, Switzerland for the most part, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, and our own islands, are all in language, in blood, and in institutions, German most decidedly. But all South America is peopled with Spaniards and Portuguese, all North America and all Australia with Englishmen, I say nothing of the prospects and influence of the German race in Africa and in India. It is enough to say that half of Europe and all America and Australia are German more or less completely, in race, in language, or in institutions, or in all. End quote. Note Arnold's Lectures on Modern History, page 35. End note. By the middle of the fifth century Germanic nations had settled themselves in many of the fairest regions of the Roman Empire, and imposed their yoke on the provincials, and had undergone, to a considerable extent, that moral conquest which the arts and refinements of the vanquished in arms have so often achieved over the rough victor. The Visigoths, held the north of Spain and Gaul, south of the Loire, Franks, Alemanni, Alans, and Burgundians had established themselves in other Gallic provinces, and the Suvi were masters of a large southern portion of the Spanish peninsula. The king of the Vandals reigned in North Africa, and the Ostrogoths had firmly planted themselves in the provinces north of Italy. Of these powers and principalities, that of the Visigoths under their king Theodoric, son of Alaric, was by far the first in power and in civilization. The pressure of the Huns upon Europe had first been felt in the fourth century of our era, they had long been formidable to the Chinese empire. But the ascendancy in arms which another nomadic tribe of Central Asia, the Sienpai, gained over them drove the Huns from their Chinese conquests westward. And this movement, once being communicated to the whole chain of barbaric nations that dwelt Northward of the black sea and the roman empire tribe after tribe of savage warriors broke in upon the barriers of civilized europe quote, "vilut unda supervenit undam" the huns crossed the tanais into europe in 375 and rapidly reduced to subjection the Alans, the Ostrogoths, and other tribes that were then dwelling along the course of the Danube, the armies of the Roman emperor that tried to check their progress were cut to pieces by them, and Pannonia and other provinces south of the Danube were speedily occupied by the victorious cavalry of those new invaders. Not merely the degenerate Romans, but the bold and hardy warriors of Germany and Scandinavia were appalled at the numbers, the ferocity, the ghastly appearance, and the lightning-like rapidity of the Huns. Strange and loathsome legends were coined and credited, which attributed their origin to the union of quote, secret black and midnight hags unquote, with the evil spirits of the wilderness. Tribe after tribe and city after city fell before them. Then came a pause in their career of conquest in southwestern Europe caused probably by dissensions among their chiefs, and also by their arms being employed in attack upon the Scandinavian nations. But when Attila, or Atzel, as he is called in the Hungarian language, became their ruler, the torrent of their arms was directed with augmented terrors upon the West and the South, and their myriads marched beneath the guidance of one mastermind to the overthrow both of the new and the old powers of the earth. Recent events have thrown such a strong interest over everything connected with the Hungarian name that even the terrible name of Attila now impresses us the more vividly through our sympathizing admiration of the exploits of those who claim to be descended from his warriors and, quote, ambitiously insert the name of Attila among their native kings." Unquote. The authenticity of this martial genealogy is denied by some writers and questioned by more, but it is at least certain that the Magyars of Arpad, who are the immediate ancestors of the bulk of the modern Hungarians, and who conquered the country which bears the name of Hungary in A.D. 889, were of the same stock of mankind as were the Huns of Attila, even if they did not belong to the same subdivision of that stock, nor is there any improbability in the tradition that after Attila's death many of his warriors remained in Hungary, and that, their descendants afterwards joined the Huns of Arpad in their career of conquest. It is certain that Attila made Hungary the seat of his empire. It seems also susceptible of clear proof that the territory was then called Hungvar, and Attila's soldiers Hungvari Both the Huns of Attila and those of Arpad came from the family of nomadic nations, whose primitive regions were those vast wildernesses of high Asia which are included between the Altaic and the Himalayan mountain chains. The inroads of these tribes upon the lower regions of Asia and into Europe have caused many of the most remarkable revolutions in the history of the world. There is every reason to believe that swarms of these nations made their way into distant parts of the earth at periods long before the date of the Scitian invasion of asia which is the earliest inroad of the nomadic race that history records the first as far as we can conjecture in respect to the time of their descent were the finnish and ugrian tribes who appear to have come down from the Asiatic border of High Asia towards the northwest, in which direction they advanced to the Uralian Mountains. There they established themselves, and that mountain chain, with its valleys and pasture lands, became to them a new country, whence they sent out colonies on every side, but the Ugrian colony, which under Arpad occupied Hungary, and became the ancestors of the bulk of the present Hungarian nation, did not quit their settlements on the Uralian mountains till a very late period not until four centuries after the time when Attila led from the primary seats of the nomadic races in High Asia, the host with which he advanced into the heart of France. Note, see Pritchard's researches into the physical history of mankind, and note. That host was Turkish, but closely allied in origin, language, and habits with the Fino-Ugrian settlers on the Ural. Attila's fame has not come down to us through the partial and suspicious medium of chroniclers and poets of his own race, it is not from hunnish authorities that we learn the extent of his might it is from his enemies from the literature and the legends of the nations whom he afflicted with his arms that we draw the unquestionable evidence of his greatness besides the express narratives of byzantine latin and gothic writers we have the strongest proof of the stern reality of Attila's conquests, in the extent to which he and his Huns have been the themes of the earliest German and Scandinavian lays. Wild as many of these legends are, they bear concurrent and certain testimony to the awe with which the memory of Attila is regarded by the bold warriors who composed and delighted in them. Attila's exploits, and the wonders of his unearthly steed and magic sword, repeatedly occur in the sagas of Norway and Iceland, and the celebrated Nibelungen lied the most ancient of Germanic poetry is full of them. There Etzel, or Attila, is described as the wearer of twelve mighty crowns, and as promising to his bride the lands of thirty kings, whom his irresistible sword has subdued. He is in fact the hero of the latter part of this remarkable poem, and it is at his capital city, at Selenberg, which evidently corresponds to the modern Buddha, that much of its action takes place. When we turn from the legendary to the historic Attila, we see clearly that he was not one of the vulgar herd of barbaric conquerors. Consummate military skill may be traced in his campaigns, and he relied far less on the brute force of armies for the aggrandizement of his empire, than on the unbounded influence over the affections of friends and the fears of foes which his genius enabled him to acquire. Austerely sober in his private life, severely just on the judgment seat, conspicuous among a nation of warriors for hardihood, strength, and skill in every martial exercise, grave and deliberate in counsel, but rapid and remorseless in execution, he gave safety and security to all who were under his dominion, while he waged a warfare of extermination against all who opposed or sought to escape from it. He matched the national passions, the prejudices, the creeds, and the superstitions of the varied nations over which he ruled, and of those which he sought to reduce beneath his sway. And these feelings he had the skill to turn to his own account. His own warriors believed him to be the inspired favorite of their deities, and followed him with fanatic zeal. His enemies looked on him as the pre-appointed minister of heaven's wrath against themselves, and though they believed not in his creed, their own made them tremble before him in one of his early campaigns he appeared before his troops with an ancient iron sword in his grasp which he told them was the god of war whom their ancestors had worshipped it is certain that the nomadic tribes of northern asia whom herodotus described under the name of Scythians, from the earliest times worshipped as their god a bare sword. That sword-god was supposed, in Attila's time, to have disappeared from earth. But the Hunnish king now claimed to have received it by special revelation. It was said that a herdsman who was tracking in the desert a wounded heifer by the drops of blood, found the mysterious sword standing fixed in the ground, as if it had been darted down from heaven. The herdsmen bore it to Attila, who thenceforth was believed by the Huns to wield the spirit of death in battle. And the seers prophesied that that sword was to destroy the world. A Roman, note, end note, who was on an embassy to the Hunnish camp, recorded in his memoirs Attila's acquisition of his supernatural weapon, and the immense influence over the minds of the barbaric tribes which its possession gave him. In the title which he assumed, we shall see the skill with which he availed himself of the legends and creeds of other nations, as well as of his own. He designated himself, quote, Attila, descendant of the great Nimrod, nurtured in Engadi, by the grace of god king of the huns the goths the danes and the medes the dread of the world end quote. herbert states that attila is represented on an old medallion with a teraphim or a head on his breast and the same writer adds quote, we know from the hamartinegia of prudentius that Nimrod, with a snaky-haired head, was the object of adoration to the heretical followers of Marcion, and the same head was the palladium set up by Antiochus Epiphanus over the gates of Antioch, though it has been called the visage of Chiron. The memory of Nimrod was certainly regarded with mystic veneration by many, and by asserting himself to be the heir of that mighty hunter before the Lord, he vindicated to himself at least the whole Babylonian kingdom. Quote, the singular assertion in his style that he was nurtured in Engadi, where he certainly had never been, will be more easily understood on reference to the twelfth chapter of the book of Revelation, concerning the woman clothed with the sun, who was to bring forth in the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God a man-child, who was to contend with the dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and rule all nations with a rod of iron. This prophecy was at that time understood universally by the sincere Christians to refer to the birth of Constantine, who was to overwhelm the paganism of the city on the seven hills and it is still so explained but it is evident that the heathens must have looked on it in a different light and have regarded it as a foretelling of the birth of the great one who should master the temporal power of rome the assertion, therefore, that he was nurtured in Engadi is a claim to be looked upon as that man-child who was to be brought forth in a place prepared of God in the wilderness. Engadi means a place of palms and vines in the wilderness. It was hard by Zoar, the city of refuge, which was saved in the vale of sidom or demons when the rest were destroyed by fire and brimstone from the lord in heaven and might therefore be especially called a place prepared of god in the wilderness End quote. it is obvious enough why he styled himself quote, by the grace of God, king of the Huns and Goths, quote. and it seems far from difficult to see why he added the names of the Medes and the Danes. His armies had been engaged in warfare against the Persian kingdom of the Sassanidae, and it is certain, note, see the narrative of Precas, note, that he meditated the attack and overthrow of the Medo-Persian power. Probably some of the northern provinces of that kingdom had been compelled to pay him tribute, and this would account for his styling himself king of the Medes, they being his remotest subjects to the south from a similar cause he may have called himself king of the Danes, as his power may well have extended northwards as far as the nearest of the Scandinavian nations, and this mention of Medes and Danes as his subjects would serve at once to indicate the vast extent of his dominion. Note in the, quote, Nibelungen unquote, the old poet who describes the reception of the heroine Schrimhild, by Attila, note, etzel, and note, says that Attila's dominions were so vast that among his subject warriors there were Russian, Greek, Valachin, Polish, and even Danish knights and note end of chapter 6 part 1